0: to the world of digital sound oh, oh shit sorry all right, we started oh fuck right okay uh hello guys this is ken this is the ken burton show a podcast story not that we have a ken burton show anymore because we don't uh we used to we used to have a uh pretty pretty substantial youtube channel at one point but um that was where we did all the uh call of duty stuff and the faithful will remember this Uh, And I was the worst COD player in the world. In the world. So, um, yeah. So this is one of the Forgotten series. I forget which number it is now, but you find it in the title. So, mm. For those of you listening to this on audio only, and it is uh, like a two-pronged attack thing going on here, because I've got, like, the uh, video which is on the YouTube channel, which is Ken Burton UK. I've gone dry all of a sudden. Let me just take a partake of a little beer. Mm. Delightful. Oh, shit, I've left my glasses on as well. I, don't <laughs> I just realised I left my glasses on. I look like such an old fart now. I'm going to take them off. Okay, there. Now I just look like I've got bags under my eyes. Right, so there, it's a two-pronged thing going on here. So uh, if you're listening to this, on iTunes or Spotify or Podbean or anywhere else that it's been ripped off and re-uploaded somewhere uh, there is a video version on my YouTube channel okay and if you want to make any comments and comments are welcome and I do read them all then please go to the YouTube channel and leave a comment there if you care to subscribe to the YouTube channel that would be absolutely Brilliant, because I am <laughs> trying to get to a thousand subscribers. Uh, now I know that's relatively easy these days. You just pay some guy fifty quid and they do it for you. But I don't really want to do it that way. I'd like to do it the legit way. And the podcasts they get about a thousand downloads a week uh, from the various sources, and um, that's the reason why I do them. Really, is because I get a thousand people actually listening to these things and um, I'm quite pleased with that I'm, I'm you know it's my inspiration to carry on doing them but if we were on YouTube with a thousand subscribers I might be able to make some cash yeah there you go so anyway um, let's uh, kick off with this one so a bit of a disclaimer as always um, any all parts of this podcast story may or may not be true. It is up to you, the listener, to decide whether or not you think it is or isn't. And leave a comment in the comment section on the YouTube channel. Uh, That's three times I've now mentioned the YouTube channel. Look at that. I'm surprised I haven't got a lower third. I should have a lower third, shouldn't I? Uh, Please subscribe to YouTube. Oh no, because the audio guys wouldn't hear that and that's where most of the listeners come from. (laughs) Right, okay. Um, My voice is uh, a little bit croaky, I'm afraid. Now, uh, those of you who follow these podcast stories, will know that I've been relatively ill since Christmas and uh, my voice isn't great. As a salesman, that's a bit of a handicap, you know what I mean? I mean, you know, um, yes, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, uh, I'd be delighted to sell you a car, and then you end up sounding like Herman Munster, you know, it's like, just comes across very very deep and very throaty and is... oh god it sounded like boris johnson jesus that was a brilliant boris johnson impression if you're american you don't know who boris johnson is he is the maddest fucker of a politician ever um the guy the oh he's just mad one example right he went to china and he tried to tell the chinese that ping pong or table tennis, as we call it, was invented by by English people uh, in some early century or whatever. But back in those days, it was called whiff Waff. Yeah, honestly. <laughs> um, so this is what we have to put up within the UK. We've got Boris. But you've got Trump. You've got Trump. I actually, I don't know, do, do I... I don't like a lot of the things he does. But I understand it. You know, I understand where he's coming from, and when he when he says um, America is full, we can't take all of these illegal immigrants because we're taking jobs out of the mouths of American people. And you think, well, that's fair enough. You know, if there is a humanitarian crisis, then yeah, they're going to take uh, asylum seekers. But uh, economic migrants, people just doing it for the money. Um, you can understand why he wants to build a wall and stop them. We've got the same situation in the UK. We've got this whole situation going on with Brexit, which I know is a complete fucking joke. And worldwide, this is a joke. I mean, I, I speak to people, uh, friends of mine from America quite a bit. And, um, you know, what I hear a lot is, hey, hey, uh, hey buddy, what's, what's going on with this uh, fucking Brexit shit, you know? Um, What are you, are you, uh, all of your politicians don't represent you? (coughs) Excuse me. I knew that would do my throat. Um, And you're right, they don't. They don't. We voted in this country to leave the EU. We don't want any more migrants coming in uh, for economic reasons because it's killing us. It is killing us. And uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about Brexit, actually. So skip forward 10 minutes if you don't want to hear it. Um, Brexit in the UK, I voted to leave and there was a very good reason why I did that and it's not for the uh, business to business or the Irish backstop or anything like that. I'll tell you why I voted Brexit. Um, I live in a, a small town in the middle of the country, slightly to the east and um, in my town It is very, very possible to go into the town centre, spend the entire day shopping, getting some food, getting a coffee, um, spend the entire day in, in my little town and not hear English spoken and that is not an exaggeration folks, it is not. If you try to get an appointment at your local GP, and we have this National Health uh, Service service, I was putting fingers up there um, in the UK as well. And the National Health Service is a brilliant concept, and it's free. And so, lots and lots of people come from Eastern Europe since Tony Blair opened the floodgates, and they need hip operations, and they've got cancer, and they need treatment. And they've got all these things going on. They don't want to pay for it in their own country. When they can simply come to the UK, they can walk into any hospital, any GP surgery, and say, hello, my name is uh, Slavich, and uh, they will be treated for free. Um, and that is why, that is one of the, the main reasons why, in this town anyway, uh, you cannot get an appointment at your GP. And if you eventually do... You walk into the waiting room and nobody's speaking English. And it's the same with the hospitals. It's the same everywhere you go. Everywhere you go. Our country is no longer our country. You know, when English becomes a second language, I think it's time to worry. And likewise in America. If if US English became a second language, in Los Angeles, for instance, um, and everybody spoke Hispanic or whatever, um, I think you guys would soon kick up about it. And you'd be going, yeah, make America great again, yeah. And uh, you'd, you'd vote Trump in for another term. You know, I'm absolutely sure of it. All right, let me just take a drink. I do this a lot for you audio folks as well, sorry. I do take breaks and i take a drink. Hold on. Mm. Bud Light, look at that, American beer, yeah um so the the other reason why i voted brexit i was um quite happily earning 45000 pounds a year more than that uh, with bonuses and i had a company car had a good job i was in charge of a department and i got made redundant and uh, that's when i went to america by the way when i got made redundant um but i applied for every IT job within 30 miles of my town and there were many there were many 15 years IT experience of managing building running teams running a help desk five years of IT project management where I delivered some massive projects Um, huge amounts of money all on time all on budget I thought I was untouchable and very employable. But apparently when you apply for a job in this country, uh, you're at the back of a queue of 50 Eastern Europeans that have also applied for the job, only they've all got degrees. Sometimes multiple degrees. Degrees in computer science, degrees in project management, they've got PRINCE Two qualifications, they've got ITIL qualifications. Um, and. You get filtered out. If you haven't got a degree, you're filtered out. Okay. So I found myself applying for best part of 200 jobs. I would have said over the six months, um, and I got some replies, no interviews. 200 jobs, no interviews, and I was applying for jobs that were, you know, I was w- way over qualified for, uh, and I was pl- applying for jobs that I was perfectly qualified for and uh, I eventually got hold of um, there was a massive employer in in this area and I got hold of one of their um, HR people on LinkedIn and uh, I said look honestly please tell me what I'm doing wrong because I'm, I'm, I'm at the end now please tell me what I'm doing wrong and she said well it's really really simple you at the back of the queue because you haven't got a degree I said, yeah, okay, so basically I've got to forget a life in IT anymore because I haven't got a degree. She said, yeah, pretty much. She said, but there is a little caveat to that. So, said, what's that then? She said, probably out of every 50 Eastern European applications they get, half, if not three quarters of the degrees they claim to have come from universities that don't exist. Ah, okay. She said, and um, they pull a lot of tricks that the English don't do. I said, what sort of tricks? She said, well, they'll apply for a job under the name Skanovich. And then they'll make an identical CV under the name John Smith. And they'll send both of them in. If John Smith gets offered an interview and Ivanovich doesn't, they will sue them for discrimination. Yeah, seriously. The tricks they've been fucking pulling. Anyway, so that was my primary reasons for bro- voting Brexit. I have no issue whatsoever in uh, some third world country having some mega disaster and, or it's a war and wherever it is and we need to take in refugees, I've got no problem with that at all, but economic migrants have fucked this country big time, they just have and that was why I voted to leave and that is why I will continue to vote to leave and now none of the, party, the people voted to leave, the politicians voted to stay and the politicians have fucked this up deliberately in my view so that we have to have another referendum or we we leave with the Brexit light where we're really still in the European Union, only we're still paying for it. We just don't have a say in what goes on. Um, so we've got all of these things going on. Personally, I have joined, seriously, I have joined the Brexit party. I know. Uh, I was a UKIP supporter as well. Um, until UKIP became completely racist, just completely racist. And Nigel left, and then Nigel has started this party to try and get us out of shit. Well, that's great, and I'm really, really appreciative of that. And there are some really good people standing, and I, I urge everybody in the UK, for, if not for your future, you might be in a secure job, but your kids might not be, you might find yourself getting redundant and being at the end of a queue of 50 fucking Eastern Europeans. Well, I'll tell you what, guys, it's not nice, it's not clever. I am still not working in IT, and because it's been five years now since this happened, eight years, um, my IT skill is outdated. So I that was why I kind of went into doing what I did with the cinema, and worked in America, and then when I left that, I um, became a car salesman because it is literally the only job in the UK where Eastern Europeans are not welcome. People do not like buying cars from Eastern Europeans; they just don't, and it's an industry thing there are Eastern European car salesmen but they tend to work at the lower end places the lower end garages car supermarkets I work for a very prestigious company um, but that's what I do for a living now I sell cars because that is the only way that I could get back into employment apart from taking a minimum wage job moving boxes and standing around a bunch of Eastern Europeans all day which I didn't want to do. Another drink. Mm. Right, so that's why I voted Brexit. And welcome back. Uh, So, um, yeah, it's it's a difficult one really. We we live in really weird times at the moment. Um, And I fear for the life of other people in my situation. The suicide rate, by the way, in the UK for over 50s is the worst in Europe. It is the worst in the UK. The over 50s demographic kill themselves more often than younger people or people younger. And I can understand that because there is a sense of despair. When you get the 50 you're meant to have made it. You're meant to be gearing down really you know getting ready for your retirement money's going in the bank every month Um, your bills getting paid your mortgage should be pretty low by then fucking no chance no chance not in May's Britain doesn't work like that okay so um, let's move on to the podcast story because that's why you tuned in let's face it Um, but you guys in America please do keep laughing keep laughing at our politicians I'm I'm absolutely sure we'll get another election. Most of them won't get back in. They won't. Because they've just fucked us. Mm. Okay, so. Um, where did this podcast story come from? It was partly a conversation. And it was partly watching something on TV. I had a conversation at work. And... Uh, it was with a guy, he was buying a car and he said, uh, and this this happens very rarely, I mean I'm not bigging myself up, it happens very rarely. He said, can I take your business card and I went, yeah of course I can. And he went, fucking knew it, you used to be Ken Burton, yeah I used to be Ken Burton, um, still am actually. And he went, oh fuck me, I'm, I'm amazed. He said, well, weren't you up here somewhere a big YouTuber? No, I was never a big YouTuber. Half a million subscribers, somewhere near there. Um, but most of them followed me because I was able to give them partnerships for Machinima. That's that's where my viewers came from. And he said, do you know what? He said, I listen to your podcast stories. I said, do you really? He said, yeah, seriously. He said, uh, "I haven't heard them all. I only got into them about two years ago." He said, "But I started listening to the After the Storm stuff." Um, he said, and it was just mind-blowing. And I said, "Well, that's, uh, you know, it's really great to hear, and I'm flattered." Um, and it kind of got me thinking because he was talking about the times he'd been at Coventry and. You know, he, he was around in the 80s. Uh, he was a very young man, but he was around in the 80s. And they had relatives in Coventry and they used to go back and forwards. And he talked to the relatives and, you know, he said, um, the amazing thing is he said, a lot of what you're, you say in your podcasts, um, I remember stories coming from my family, very similar back in the day. And I said to him, whereabouts in commentary were your family? And he told me. And I was like, fucking hell, what's, what's the surname of the family? And he told me. And I went, fuck me. I probably know about 10 members of your family. And uh, we got chatting away anyway. And uh, he said um, one particular member of his family uh, he said, he talks all the time about 80s Coventry. And um, he said his name. And that I've t- in, for the sake of this story, I'm going to call him Adam. Um, now, I knew Adam really well, really well. And through really stupid circumstances as well. I, I would A girl that used to hang around with us, um, her brother was living in a bedsit. And he got kicked out. There was all sorts of shenanigans going on, and you know, he ended up getting kicked out. So uh, she said, Can he have your spare room for a couple of days? Yeah, a couple of days turned into six months uh, before he eventually left. And he was a really good guy, Adam, though. He was really funny, he was really useful. I mean, he used to clean the flat. Uh, for a start, which was nice. He'd wash up, which was nice. He actually put things in the fridge apart from alcohol. Yeah, that was a bit of an awakening for me. I didn't realise fridges could do other things. Um, (laughs) Alcohol and ice. Honestly, you open my fridge, back in the flat, open the fridge door, a fuckload of ice comes out, falls on the floor, and a load of bottles of beer, different types of beer, and... um, We'd have the odd bottle of wine, a few bottles of champagne, a couple of other things. God, dear. And never any food. Never. Ever. We had crisps. <laughs> but that was all we had. Food-wise, we had crisps. And that was it. Okay, so Adam lived with me for about six months. Okay. Um, a guy, this story involves another guy uh, who um, I've talked about a lot, Mike. One of the boys, one of the boys, one of the top boys. Um, he, he, oh God, how to describe him? He was a big lad, but um, you, you don't really see it. He, he was muscly more than he was fat. Um, he worked out a lot, and it, it would be quite often. It would be the case that. You know, I I had set of weights in my flat and um we'd do silly drinking games like Who Can Hold the Dumbbell Out Straight for Longest. He would always win. Always. He was just he was that sort of guy. Um this story involves another guy whose name is Spud. Yeah, Spud. Spud is a slang term for potato in the UK. Um, and why did we call him Spud because he had a head like a potato I know it's, it was a different time and uh, he hung out Spud hung out with us a lot um, came on the odd job with us Spud had a proper job but there you go and uh, Drew um, Drew was a mechanic bloody good mechanic we did a lot of work for the garage that um, he worked at um, he, was, he was good at what he did. Great guy. Drank with us. Real ladies' man. Huge ladies' man. We used to say that he could snap knicker elastic at 50 paces. Well, I tell you, he could. He just could. I mean, you know, he'd only have to. He's one of these guys, you know. He'd walk into a room, smile at a girl, and you just know that's it. He's got to, you know. He never failed. Never failed. Unlike me. Oh, right, love, can I get you a drink? No, fuck off. All right, all right, okay. (laughs) He never got any of that, never. So um, primarily that's uh, kind of what the story, the characters of of this particular podcast story, all those names have been changed, except for Spud. Genuinely, that is what we called him. And I genuinely do not know what his real name was I cannot remember he had one but I can't remember what it was okay so let me describe the scene those of you who have heard these podcasts before you'll know that basically what we did we didn't work for a living well we did work for a living but we worked for ourselves we didn't get a paycheck we didn't um, pay tax Uh, (laughs) we didn't claim benefits we just did odd jobs for people some of them legal most of them not and we did that a lot now most of our work came from repos so the garages around Coventry in the 80s they used to um, let you have a car and you pay 25 quid a week so no paperwork no contracts He's got your driving licence, he knows who you are and where you live, the garage. And pick a car, that one over there you can have for 25, that one over there 35, that's a knacker, you can have that for a tenner, and um, people used to take cars. And when they couldn't pay, and many of them couldn't pay, we would get a phone call from a garage saying, can you go and collect a car? Sometimes we'd have a key sometimes we'd have to wire it, sometimes we'd have to put it on a truck but most of the time, most of the time we would wire it Um, and that's what we did for a living. Now we also had another string to our bow which is a little bit more complicated we were fag-end gangsters and by that I mean we were the lowest of the fucking low. If uh, the family that ran Coventry at that time needed a lookout, needed somebody following, needed a package taken from A to B, then we might get a phone call. It was grunt work. It was all grunt work. Occasionally, we might get involved in something heavier, few and far between. But we were all faggot gangsters. And the crew that I hung around with The guys that I worked with, we were all most of the time carrying a weapon. Most of the time that would be a gun. So this is what it was, this is who we were. But Coventry in the late eighties it was just it was a sight to behold. The clubs were buzzing, you know. The girls were, the girls were fantastic. The boys were all jolly boys. Rarely were there any fights in the clubs and the pubs. Rarely was there any disagreements or any problems. The world that I lived in had one goal in mind and that was to have a good time. And you, you let you let things go that you wouldn't let go these days um, I might I might spend the night with a girl and then following night we're at the club and she's there with someone else. I'd still buy her a drink and a week later she might be back with me. We never formed those sexual bonds. That you guys have got now. We were we were free, and it was almost it was almost like a replay of the '60s, where all this free love shit going on. I mean, you still had to work for it, but more often than not, it was just a friend friend relationship. And sometimes I slept with girls, didn't have sex with them, but I slept with girls in a friendly way, it's oh god it's hard to describe, you youngsters won't get that, you just won't get that, it was such a different atmosphere, but it was a lifeless ordinary, it was friendships, it was brotherhood, people that you would go to bat for, people that you would Die for, knowing that in a similar situation they would die for you. And people did. People did die. I told a podcast story a little while ago about uh, the reasons why I, I had to leave Coventry. What I call the storm. That was a young man who wanted to be somebody and he died for me. He didn't think he was going to die. He thought he was going to win, but he ended up dying. Crazy. You want to go back and check those podcast stories out. Um, So... there is another side to Coventry, of course. We're not n- not everybody was, you know, go down the park on a Sunday afternoon and throw a frisbee around, and everyone loves everyone else. A lot of guys that I went to school with, old friends, left. They went into boring jobs. Got married, had a kid. Usually, had a kid, got married. Um start a home on a new estate and they're fucked, that's their life. I knew one particular lad, by the time he was 20, he'd been married twice, he'd got four kids and divorced twice. He was 20, I mean that was just incredible but he was a dickhead. Um, One or two of them, not everybody was like that though, one or two of them made it. I had a couple of friends I went to school with and when they came out of school, no qualifications at all, they both went to college um, to learn the building trade. They both got a diploma and lasted a year Um, and then very very cleverly one of them got a job and he was at that job for about six months as a builder and the other guy had gone self-employed well they pulled their resources and bought a house they spent three months doing this house up and made 10 grand and that was the first one Jesus they ended up really really well off they ended up employing people they ended up bringing in lots and lots of uh, bigger properties more, f- more further afield. I know the last time I heard about, I nearly said his name that last time I heard about it um, he was living in a two million pound house um, married, kids and he basically got this little empire of rented properties and he was raking it in and I'm sure now, nowadays where rents are higher than mortgages to the extent where you know you can barely afford to rent a place he must be raking it in now god Mudge is probably my age so well he, he is my age so he's probably retired so uh, good luck to you carl oh he said his name now sure okay they probably won't work out who he is from that <laughs> right so that was coventry do you know there's one aspect of that I've left out most of the people that I left school with ended up inside most when I think about my last year of school and the people that were there out of the probably 45 of us because. There were 45 of us. Half of them, a little more than half of them, were girls. So I'd say probably 20 were boys. I reckon 10 ended up in jail. I reckon. Yeah, something. Anyway, um, right. So I'll move with the podcast story. So. Um, an old friend who was at that time working for the family he was doing uh, various things mainly out-of-town stuff and I never really I'd seen very very rarely at a function but he used to be a friend when he was at school and we used to smoke together drink together together in the group anyway. He, he wasn't the nicest of people. You really had to get to know him and you had to understand his sense of humour. I mean he would just walk behind you and punch you in the head and start laughing. He was one of these sort of guys. But he didn't do it to me. Um, and I kind of... I don't know, let things slide a bit I guess but um, this guy we hear has been killed and um, we're in the pub one night and we're all having a few beers prior to going to the nightclub we're having a few beers chatting away and um, somebody said did you hear about such and such right okay no, what happened? Oh, he—he uh, he got killed. Fucking hell! How would that happen? So, well, apparently, uh, in a hotel at Birmingham Airport, in the car park, he got attacked. He got attacked and beaten to death. Um, very unusual that. It's very unusual. I mean, uh, coming from that sort of world, if you're going to have a fight with somebody and it looks as though you've gone too far you get the fuck out of there you don't hang around to beat them to death that's a personal thing that's a personal thing but as he worked for the family we all were talking amongst ourselves and we said well you know what the next thing is don't you yeah they're gonna want this guy found or whoever did it or guys or guys and girls, whoever was involved in this, the family's going to want them found. Because it sends a message. And maybe, I mean, the, the, him being kicked to death as he was, maybe that was because he worked for the family. And the family wouldn't have taken that risk of not retaliating. And so, fair enough, they put the word out. Um, following day we heard this and they want to find whoever did it. Now the family had major connections in Birmingham, in uh, Nuneaton, in uh, Nottingham, in Northampton, all around the place they have major connections and three weeks went past and not a fucking dicky bird did we hear. So next stage they offer a reward there's money in it so now we want whoever did it his friends to claim the reward and turn him in that's the idea and sure enough information came thick and fast Um, loads of people loads of people trying to claim it you know the druggies and the the alcoholics and those that needed the money, they're, they're all saying, oh, yeah, yeah, I know who did it, it was such and such. Well, one name came in uh, a number of times, and so the family took it seriously. And um, this guy lived on the outskirts of Solihull, um, which is kind of posh end of Birmingham. Now they'd gone to this guy's house, and he's not there. They'd sat on his house for the day; he didn't turn up. So they put out a instruction, and they paid me, my crew, a lot of other people, to go and sit on his known haunts. Um, now for us. We were given an address and told it was the guy's mum's house. And we took it in turns um, on a rotor basis. Some people would be there all night, uh, we'd be there during the day, and we did it in a transit van, blacked out windows. And um, we had various ways of seeing out of this van. And. Um, we sat, we waited, we watched. Now i tell you what, it can get fucking boring. Oh, can't get a cap off that bit. Oh, there we go. It can get fucking boring being sat in a van, even though you know the people really, really well. Especially when somebody decides it's a good idea to have a farting contest. And um, you really, you have to get out. You, You can't stand it. Well, we were there, Christ, five days. Different transit vans um, all the time, Uh, different coloured transit vans, and we were all swapping transit vans around with each other. Those people that were watching his house or his flat, those that were watching his mum's place, those that were watching, uh, he had a relative as well in Solihull, and people watching that as well. So, we just sat there five days and it was like shift work. It was like in the morning we took over. And then at night and just like, anything? No, nothing. Mm. For you audio people I've just lit a fag up, sorry. So um day six Day six comes and um <laughs> We're all sat around and we're playing cards at this point, taking it in turns to look out the spy hole. And um, somebody says he's there. Fuck off. He's there, he's just gone down the fucking alleyway down the back, towards the back of the house. You sure it's him? Yeah, it's fucking him. Right, okay. So, where we go? and uh, two at the front, uh, three of us heading towards the back and one of us behind the wheel of the van and we moved the van right in front of his mum's house uh, back doors are ready to be flung open and uh, away we go. Now I'm in the team that's going around the back okay? um, and taking him down was so fucking easy it was just so easy. Uh, somebody put a hood over him and basically held his mouth. Two of us pick him up and we just guide him towards the back of the van. Van doors open, thrown in the back of the van, uh, tape around his arms, around his back, and uh, we just sit in there. And then we get out of there. And we go to like this industrial estate. Well, we got in touch with the family. Um, and uh, we say, we've got him. And uh, it was easy. He's not hurt. He's ready. Where do you want him? Now the family tell us to hold on to him because the police have got wind that the family is looking for revenge and they're hunting down this guy and CID are all over the family like a fucking rash they can't make a move without being followed and they have ops on the family okay, and their properties various properties now the family had a lot within their circle and the police couldn't watch them all but they never knew who was being watched at what time. So what they did was they said here's an address go there hold him. Okay, We'll be in touch. So we go. It's a flat um, but it's kind of a masonetti type thing and uh, we're there for two days and we're eating, we're sleeping, we're drinking and talking to this guy. Now I'm going to call this guy Frank. Now the problem was the more we talked to this guy the more we got convinced that it wasn't him. For a start he wasn't big enough to do the level of damage that was done. He would have to have been in a complete fucking frenzy to have done that or had help. But we just couldn't it wasn't right. There was just something not right. Now after a while we're convinced he didn't do this and we have a dilemma. Do we hand him over? Now Adam and Mike were with us looking after him and they want to let him go just saying tell him you fucking escaped now spud didn't know what from down so he doesn't really care um and so we kind of think well if we let him go we could be very much in the shit here my cigarette go out fucking hell so I decide best course of action we speak to the family and we share our concerns, I shared my concerns and the family don't give a fuck they really didn't give a fuck Um, do as you're told, hold on to him we'll be in touch and we're a few days into this by now anyway we decided collectively that we were going to let him escape. What we did was we all went down the pub local pub we left uh... money we left a set of car keys we left the doors open and this guy had been kept in a room Uh, for the most part of him being there. And the, the room he was in had the lock on it. We undid the lock, pointedly, making lots of noise so he could hear us. And um, we go for a drink. All the doors are open. Um, you know, we know what to expect when we get back he's only still fucking there couldn't believe it he hasn't gone near the money he i mean we we were very loud in saying right let's go to the pub well we can't all go oh no you will be alright come on let's go we made a big point of oh okay now there he was Still there. So we don't know what to do at this point. I mean, we're past the point of no return. So we said to him, look, Frank, just fucking go. But he wants to stay. Because he wants to explain to this family, of which he knows nothing, by the way, apart from what we've told him, he wants to explain that he didn't do it. And... It's such a difficult one. We know that if he's going to go near anywhere near the family, they're going to fucking kill him. Right? They're going to. It doesn't matter if he's done it or not. A body will do. And this guy's name's been put in the frame by a number of people, so a number of people will believe it, and they'll just fucking off the guy and say it was this or it was that, and this is what happens when you take on the family you're going to end up with concrete fucking shoes mm. it was really it was a difficult situation I liked him I fucking liked him that was my biggest problem he was quite a nice guy proper job fucking proper family he had a what seemed to be a relatively decent life in Solihull, my conscience, I think, kicked in. And for a guy that doesn't have a conscience, it was a rare moment. So anyway, we sit up that night. We've got a couple of bottles from the off-licence. And we're we're all drinking scotch. And we're saying to him and by this time he's sat in the front room with the fucking rest of us drinking scotch we're saying to him this is gonna happen to you There, there is money on that sideboard over there as a set of car keys just fucking go just go finally hours go by and he agrees he understands what's going to happen he understands he's not going to talk himself out of it and he understands he's not talking to reasonable fucking people well door shut and uh, we say goodbye to Frank away away you went and we sat there drinking scotch and then one of us has to call the family and it was me and the only thing I'm thinking here is best case scenario they're going to drop me and I won't ever get any work from them again they're going to put the word out and I'm never going to get any work anywhere again. Worst case scenario they take my kneecaps and to be honest that's what I was expecting. I made a very drunken <sighs> Ridiculous call to the guy that we were talking to within the family, the guy that had asked us to do what we were doing, and I said, "He's gone." And I know the, the voice on the phone just went, "I see." I said, "Look, we we were getting bored. We bought some scotch." We fell asleep and he fucked off. You know, what can I tell you? And this guy says, I was going to give you a call. He said, "Um, we now know who did it. And it wasn't the guy you've got. All the weight of the world was lifted from my shoulders. As the guy very politely told me we were going to tell you let him go to drop him. And so we slept soundly. Following morning waking up with hangovers and getting ready to go back to Coventry Um, and then in the morning we suddenly realised we've just ruined this guy's life if we'd have just held him until the family had said either drop him or bring him in, he could have gone back to the life he had. Now he's fucking lost. He's gone. Well, a couple of nights later, after we'd all recovered and we were in the pub, we are all chatting away about this. And we decided to see if we could find him. Well, quite a few of us had contacts and uh, we certainly put the word out and weeks weeks went by and we never found him Um, rumours, we got rumours, rumours were he got to Scotland he got family there rumours were he'd gone abroad Um, there was a rumour that he'd um, got aboard a fishing boat, gone to to France, there was a lot of rumours. But, not a lot we could do about that. We couldn't find him, with all of our resources. And we tried, and tried, and tried. Um, And this is what, this is why I was thinking about it. I was, I was looking at something called Missing. It was a program on Sky the other day. And the family were convinced that um, their son that had run away um, had either been killed or um, he was still being held prisoner or whatever, whatever. And it was something like 20 years later that they managed to track him down, and he was married, and he had kids, and he had a good job, and he finished college, and he got his degree, and he he did really well without them. And maybe it was a legitimate thing for him to just leave. I mean, uh, I don't know. It's it, when you only hear one side of a story, it's really difficult. But he must have had a reason to go. And that's what I think about Frank. You know, whatever happened to Frank. Did Frank make another life for himself? Very articulate, very clever lad. I'd like to think he did. I'd like to think that Frank ended up with the big house and the 2.4 kids and the lovely wife who adores him and he's very happily married and well respected in his community but i have to think like that cuz i don't want to i don't want to think the opposite because these days i have a conscience and regular listeners will know that the dark side comes back to haunt me a lot. And if I was to let myself believe that Frank had come to harm, that Frank had a miserable fucking life, that he was on the streets somewhere homeless, my conscience would not deal with that very well when you try and do good sometimes and we didn't do a lot of good back then and it ends up turning bad it's difficult it's difficult is there a moral to this story? God, you tell me. But it is a forgotten podcast. Um, And unless I'd spoken to that guy that bought the car, unless I'd have seen that thing on the telly, I wouldn't have remembered this. And again, that's conscience. That's... um, that's me trying to justify myself but I do that a lot I do that a lot there's a lot of um, there's a lot of situations a lot of things that I did uh, that I now have to reconcile and come to terms with and quite a lot of it I can't because it's not easy but that's life for you isn't it throws your curveballs and you do your best but there's always something holding you back grinding you down And in my case, that's me. I do hope you've enjoyed this one, guys. Um, Like I said, if you could subscribe to the YouTube channel, that would be absolutely fantastic. But um, comments in the comments section would be very welcome. And as always, I will see you on the dark side. You guys take care. Welcome to the world of digital sound. Shutting down all systems.